This week on FX Guide TV. We're in Los Angeles to talk to Method Studios about the making of This Means War. This and more coming up next. Hello, I'm Angie Dale, and this week, we mean war. Well, sort of. Mike recently sat down with the team at Method LA to talk about the making of This Means War, a romantic comedy, or if you like, romance comedy, as it involves loads of explosions, spies, and car crashes. The project is interesting for a few reasons, including the use of flame for full 3D rendering of effects objects or props, a trend we're seeing in a couple of projects at the moment. Um, so when did you first get involved with the project? This Means War came to me in June of 2010 for some original bidding. Uh, and for a while it looked like the show wasn't going to go. But come October, uh, the show was a go and it was a very quick turnaround. Within a week, uh, I had to be on set and ready to shoot. Wow. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great fun film and it kind of moves around the world, but you didn't get to fly all over the world, I take it. No, no. I got to see Vancouver, which is beautiful. I love yeah. going there. Uh, but Vancouver is doubling for Los Angeles, uh, doubling for Shanghai, Hong Kong. Shangkong, as we say, because it's supposed to be more of a nondescript uh, Asian city. Sort of generic Asian city. Okay, right. well, let's start there then. How did you tackle that problem? I mean, did you get to shoot a lot of VistaVision plates down in, in Asia? or? No, that was the original plan, but it didn't quite turn out that way. Um, 20th Century Fox, who produced the film, has a great uh, backlog of B-roll from many, many films that they've been shooting over the years. And they had some great footage flying over Hong Kong. Of course, it was supposed to be Shanghai. So we dispatched a photographer to Shanghai to shoot plates uh, on the 5D, some moving plates, some still images. And those were kind of cut and pasted and tiled together to create this kind of hybrid Asian city. Okay, I can imagine doing that if you were doing like a vista outside a window. But this is for the sequence where they actually jump off with, I mean, yes. it's like a base jump, right? Yes, that's right. How'd you do that? Well, again, that was done with the tiles that we shot in uh, Shanghai. You know, on the 5D, uh, you know, every 10, 15, 20 degrees. Right. And they were all stitched together to create a, a huge vista of the city. Did you bracket those exposures? And Those were bracketed. The, right. uh, the stills were bracketed. Uh, the video from the 5D was not. And yeah. actually, we ended up using a mixture of, of video and stills so that we can get you know, image in the blacks and image in the highlights, but still have moving crowds and moving cars in the background. Because the lensing on a 5D is terrific, but of course yeah. you do have some limitations uh, put upon you by the fact that Canon never kind of designed the video out to be used at that kind of professional level. Yeah, that's right, and that's why we shot the tiles. You know, we shot pretty much at a 50 millimeter lens to try to flatten it out as much as possible. Right. And then uh, project those onto a sphere in Nuke and in Flame as well. And then we could kind of lens it for the specific shot that way. So when the, the base jump is happening, is that then a real actor or do you have to put a full digital body double in? No, that was a real base jumper jumping off a building in uh, Vancouver, Bentall Tower, uh, which was about 400 feet high. And originally that was deemed to be sufficient, but you know when you start looking at something in the context of a feature film and the kind of world that you're trying to create, really wasn't exciting enough. And so that's why we ended up getting somebody to go to Shanghai and shoot from I'm not sure what tower it was, but a, a very tall tower in Shanghai. So 
So this is that uh, sequence at the beginning. It kind of establishes the guys as kick-ass kind of spies, but also there's a lot of fun at the end because, like, I mean, there's a lot of money flying around and they're on top of a helicopter thing, and it's yeah. kind of a fun shot. Yeah, the idea in the beginning was to establish that very thing, to establish that these are spies that are to be reckoned with. These are the guys that are at the top of their game. They're, you know, A-list secret super spies. And this is the world that they live in. And get the audience ad adjusted to that kind of idea so that, as the film progresses, you start to see them less as super spies, as more as humans, but you still understand that this is the world that they live in. Yeah, plus we have to know that they've got it in them to be considerably more lethal than they are sort of actually being at the... Right, and that lends itself to some of the comedy later on in the film, of course. Yeah, so you shot the top of the, like the nightclub slash helicopter pad stuff in, I'm guessing, what, a studio or not? Yeah, that was in a studio in Vancouver. Uh, very large, very great set. Great right. set, and we surrounded it in uh, blue screen, 180 degrees of blue screen. And so you're really blowing dollars around with a real chopper, or was there I mean, how much was CG? Well, we were blowing real dollars around, but of course, as a visual effects person, I think the people watching this will understand all the problems that that might create. You know, it crossing, you know, certain thresholds where it's going to get cut off the blue screen. Um, dollar bills just kind of being thrown from a source off camera. You know, it, you know, it looked good for interaction with the set, but it really didn't look good for the, the overall believability of the of the location. So we did a, a you know a sim to create, you know, particle sim to create the money, the blowing money as well. So uh, the guys moved back to their city and obviously mm -hmm. kind of do a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. And I'm presuming that that meant that you had to kind of go into a range of stuff because they did some stuff that obviously was pretty uh, simple, you know, mm -hmm. paint gun kind of war type stuff. Yes. But there are other times where they're literally beating each other up and smashing through restaurants. In fact, in fact, that was actually kind of shot I quite enjoyed, the guys yeah. beating each other and plummeting down and smashing into a, a table, if I recall. Yeah, well that shot was done, it was a two-pass composite. Um, in compositing, we actually tried to make it look like it had a camera move on it. We did a little bit of 2D movement there. But um, we set up some boxes to handle the impact of the stuntmen, threw a green screen over it, and they went for it. They just leapt off the top of this balcony and landed. And as they impact the uh, green screen, that's the point where the cut takes place and we show a, a shot of them actually breaking through the tables and it works very well. Because it must have been, I, when I recalled that shot, I had them hitting the deck, yeah. but you cut away right before I saw that. Because I mean, it's really hard. A good, yeah. a good edit is a, yeah. sorry, a good editor is a VFX guy's best friend. Well, in this case, definitely, because as you pointed out, you, you thought you saw them impact the yeah. tables, but they really don't. You know, we shot a plate that, you know, obviously had everything it needed to have beneath them, but they never actually impacted. Okay, so let's discuss what that happens. We, we, at that point, we've kind of built up to the yeah. rivalry between the two guys. There's been a lot of uh, good humor, but now we have a good old-fashioned action sequence, right. which was what, shot in LA or in Vancouver? Well, originally it was shot in Vancouver. You know, the uh, principal shooting was all done in Vancouver, and there was an ending shot in, um, in Vancouver as well. But as the project evolved, uh, more action was needed to kind of bookend the movie. You know, okay. you have this great sequence at the beginning, yeah. they want to have the same level at the end, and they want to show how these two guys come together to solve this problem. And so the ending was shot as a series of pickups here in Los Angeles in uh, December of 2011. So how did you tackle um, some of the, because there's quite a lot of car destructions as you'd expect out of a spy yeah. chase, yes. um, cars going off uh, unfinished freeways. Why should I ask you about the freeway first? Well, I mean, yeah. I'm guessing it wasn't unfinished. Well, that's correct. That's the uh, one, 105 exchange with the 110 freeway heading west. And of course that's completed. That's a completed freeway. And it needed to look incomplete. And so uh, when we scouted the location, we found a place that uh, the director, McGee, decided this is where I want the freeway to end. This is where I want the stunt to take place. And anything beyond this is going to be missing. 
And the problems that that creates, or the difficulties I should say that that creates, is that that piece of freeway is obscuring everything. Yeah. You know, so you shoot down that freeway and really all you see is concrete going off into infinity. So that had to be removed and replaced with, uh, again, tiles that were shot of, of the freeway looking down, looking out into Los Angeles and hopefully seamlessly integrated into the camera move so that you believe it. So did you get to actually close any freeway off or were you just trying to do it all synthetically? No, they closed off the, the freeway on-ramp, the HOV lane, okay. for two days in December, uh, which is a, kind of a hard thing to do because there's a lot of restrictions on what can be done up there. You know, obviously we bought, brought all our trucks and the actors and all of the personnel, but we really couldn't do much in the way of the stunt that you see in the final film. Well, yeah, I don't think you're allowed to throw cars off uh, of freeways, in, uh, even in L.A. Yeah, you could, we, couldn't, uh, we couldn't even have a car roll. Uh, in fact, we couldn't have a car do a 180-degree spin. They were only allowed to do a 90-degree spin. Really? So, yeah, so there's all those kind of restrictions. But, again, editing is our friend in that case. And also the fact that we were able to shoot a lot of the car action in a uh, parking lot in Long Beach and then, you know, rotoscope it and composite it into plates that were shot on the freeway. So you were flipping a bunch of cars. And rumor has it that you destroyed some cameras. Is that right? Well, we tried. We kept trying to, we destroy, tried to destroy a camera, cameras. but it just wouldn't break. Uh, there was a, well, one of the great things about this set was it was very collaborative. You know, it was, you know, somebody would come up with a great idea and it didn't matter where the great idea came from. If McGee liked it, you know, we were going to go with it. And in one case, uh, our DP, Russell Carpenter, thought it would be incredible to have a POV shot of the car landing on us, the, the flipping SUV. And of course, you know, you're not going to take a quarter million dollar Panavision camera and, and even risk it, let alone, yeah. you know. Uh, so he very selflessly uh, donated one of his 5D cameras uh, to our shoot. Well, presumably, and the lens and everything that goes with it. Everything that yeah. went along with it. And this wasn't, I, sh I should preface this by saying this wasn't the first time he did that. You know, he would bring the 5D out and he'd put it at risk. You know, that's why I say we kept trying to break it, but it, it never broke. Uh, and in this instance, we were sure we had a surefire way to smash this camera, and that was... <laughs> to lay it on the ground and allow a two-ton SUV to land on it. And uh, so, you know, he had the camera laying out there right on the X marks, the spot, you know, where the SUV was intended to land. Uh, the special effects coordinator uh, thought that he could save the camera. You know, he brought out some railroad ties and put one on either side of the camera with the camera on a sandbag yeah. resting in between. And none of us believed that that would work, but, you know, it was worth a try. And so the SUV gets launched and it lands directly on the camera. I mean, it, they couldn't have placed it more perfectly and you know we're all shaking our heads and you know sorry Russell you know but you know that was really nice of you and sure enough when we went and we got the camera it was perfectly intact and literally like didn't it crack the lens or anything nothing the camera was perfectly intact and we continued to shoot with it for the rest of the production yeah I think you were saying before that there was at least one vehicle that went off uh, the end of the freeway that wasn't real. That's correct. That's a good shot to talk about because that was a shot that was more or less created from whole cloth. We knew what we needed to see. So on set in uh, Long Beach, we shot a car, a SUV, rolling off of a surface. Right. And that became the only practical element in the shot. Uh, the other pieces were cobbled together from photography that... Uh, I took with the 5D down in Los Angeles, um, shot some 5D video of blowing palm tree. Okay. And then the artist, Scott Balcom, who did that shot, uh, created the uh, tumbling Jeep. And that was a continuity issue. Originally, uh, there was no bid or any, any cause to do a CG Jeep for that shot. But in looking at it and looking at it in the edit, we knew that the audience was going to wonder what happened to that Jeep. If it wasn't there, where did it go? 
it couldn't just disappear in the meantime. So Scott, you know, bless him, uh, took it upon himself to get a model of a Jeep and texture it, animate it, and light it all in the flame. Oh, really? Yeah. So it wasn't rendered in 3D and comped in flame. They actually brought the model in? That's correct. He brought the model in and, like I said, lit it, animated it, and the whole thing. And, and you know, that gave so me... So that sits in there really well for something that's just being eye-matched. Well, in that, but that's, again, it goes back to my harping on the power of compositing, and that's what a good artist will do, you know. So Scott had a lot of, you know, since he built it himself, he had a lot of control over how it was going to look, and naturally, you know, the director liked that because he had a lot of control over how it was going to move and how fast and how far. And, of course, you can do that with CG as well, doing a full CG uh, asset that way. But in but this case... you only case, needed the Jeep for the one shot, it, right? That's exactly right. It was, it was a one-off shot. Yeah. It was a very, very quick shot. And it just didn't make any sense to uh, create this very complicated asset. And as the shot plays out, my eye is really going to the black burnout SUV because A, it's right. foreground, and B, that's the sort of major plot point. Right. So... You're right, it's serving exactly that purpose of solving a problem that is, or rather taking away a problem before it becomes a problem. Yeah, and, and with VFX, and especially on a show like this where it, it's, it's not a VFX film, people hopefully aren't looking for mat lines and trying to see where the VFX went wrong or went right. They're just looking at, at the work. They're just enjoying the sequence. And in a case like this, without that little bit of magic that Scott was able to put into it, uh, I think it might have taken people out of the film. You know, It might have given them pause to say, well, wait a minute. Something's missing. So roughly, just in broad terms, how many kind of shots was were there in the film? Like, uh... Uh, I believe the the film tapped out at about 400 shots. Um, many, many kind of you know wire removal, monitor burn-in type things, little uh, fixes here and there. Uh, so about 400 shots. And then uh, the neutralized stuff came from Company Three. Correct. And I'm presuming, of course, that all your plates are sensibly set up to go back into a DI pipeline after that. Yeah, that's right. We tried to give it, obviously we want to give as much range in the composites as possible. So the files that were delivered we had, were a little bit lifted to keep information in the blacks, you know, um, but then naturally in the DI everything comes back down. A lot of this was actually 3D tracked in flame if there was particular oh, really? camera moves. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was a camera projected background on a sphere. It was all 3D tracked in flame. And then you've basically got a, a flat 2D piece on a, a spherical uh, piece of geometry to give you the perspective as it moves down. Yes, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, tiled and, and the perspective. And so what resolution is that background plate coming in at? Or what did you make that up as? I think that was almost 6, 7K. Right. Um, once all the tiled pieces were in together, yeah. Some of these... Uh, other shots where we were ha actually had to lift the actors off. Uh, a lot of that was all done in Master Kia. And hopefully it's seamless. Hopefully you wouldn't even know which shots. This shot was pretty much completely uh, created, apart from the original SUV plate. This was all created in flame with the various elements, um, especially the Jeep. This was an imported model. Uh, 3D model that was then... The, the background plates, so we can see what, what you sort of had to start with? Because that really is quite different, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, this was... We all sped it up, and this was literally the only element that we used. Okay, and so then... So, so you, what else got added into that shot? So using that original image, we then took photos of the 
uh, freeway, various uh, running footage of uh, palm trees, and then the um, Jeep was a 3D model that was imported into the can flame. Can you stop it on the Jeep so we can see what that looked like? Oh, okay. So that's what would have been brought in as... That was then brought in, uh, textured, relit. What sort of model was that? Is it, was it brought in as an inventor file? Or what was that? It was a FBX. Motion blur added and then hand animated to create the spin and the move. Um, additional flame particles um, were just created and added to the shot. How do you find flames newer particles? The, um, do you I think for, for kind of wispy smoke or kind of small bits of debris, you know, snow, rain, I think it's fantastic what you can do now with them. Are you tending to use the presets that come with flame or you sort of made your own library or? I'm starting to actually build up my own library and, uh, you know, creating my own templates and, and set frame, uh, set particles. I have to say that the current uh, sort of, you know, templates they give you seem to be really so much better than they were. Oh, yeah. I mean, the ones out the box are pretty good going, really. Yeah. And, uh, and the speed of them, the interactivity of them as well, it's... Fantastic. And, and talking about that kind of stuff, do you have um, what sort of sparks and plugins do you have in, in your flames? And did you use them? Uh, well, with 2012, we, we find that they've actually replaced a lot straight in the box. That I mean, the denoise now is insanely is, good, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, the pixel spread is a huge help. Um, so, you know, even, even the um, deform node. Uh, you know, you can crumple and damage things and, you know, you, uh, defocus as well. Uh, the blur node, that's, I mean, so there's a, a lot of a lot of sparks have now been replaced. I think there's only, you know, one or two now that on the rare occasion that you might need to dip into the sparks. I mean, in fact, a lot of these now with 2012, um, these particles, the particles that were created to, to match this plate in, um, were originally created with a, a G mask that was then extruded and then used to drive the particle simulation all within flame. So that isn't actually uh, an actual particle run, or is it? There's both, is it? It's a it's a entirely flame particle run. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. There's a couple of layers and, and So just stop on that and tell me what's real and what's not. Obviously the background is comped up, but what about this foreground? What's real and what's not? So this this is the original plate. Yeah. of the SUV. This was then rotoscoped off and positioned and tracked into place. Uh, 3D, the 3D shadows were created all in flame with the new lighting and ambient occlusion um, passes. And then the uh, particles were then animated and tracked and blurred and then composited and then the final layer of uh, smoke which was again 3D particles um, added. Huh, it's really effective. I think my triggering mechanism was stuck in the... Oh, oh my God! <laughs> Thanks for that, Mike. Next week, we move from LA to London, where John's been filming. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash fxguidenews. So until next time... See ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. 
and for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.